0: It's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. James Skinner joins us now. He is with the think tank Second Street, and he's the author of a new report, which I found really interesting. James, good morning.
1: Good morning, how. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: No, thank you for doing this. This is this really is interesting. So, you at um Second Street have identified almost two dozen government policies that increase emissions, right? I mean, they're they're carbon taxing us. They're always talking about us and and what we need to do. This is interesting. Give us a couple of as I said almost two dozen, we don't have time to get into that many, but give us two or three that that really stuck out for you and tell us about them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you summed it up perfectly. I mean, the reason we started this is because, you know, it's very, very much a one way narrative that the government's were pointing the fingers at Canadians and saying, well, you need to reduce your emissions. But very few people were pointing it back at them. And we identified uh, quite a few government policies, actually, that are causing an increase in in emissions, uh, despite their narrative that, you know, it's us as the public who need to cut back on emissions. So just as like one or two examples, we've got a variety in there from, uh, you know, very small micro examples right up to macro examples. You know, macro example, I would say, is something like our energy industry. You know, Canada, we have the fifth largest natural gas reserves in the world. We've got tremendous export ability to, you know, send that overseas to countries that really want our natural gas, China being one of them, which is one of the largest emitters in the world of carbon dioxide. Um, you know, last year they released about close to eight billion metric tons of CO2 from coal. But if we can actually get our uh, our liquefied natural gas, our LNG, over to China, which is in high demand over there, they could act, we, we could actually offset a significant amount of those carbon emissions from their coal, where they could convert coal-powered uh power plants you know from coal to lng or instead of building new coal plants instead they could build you know plants based off our lng which would drastically reduce emissions and put a severe dent into that eight billion metric tons of co2 they put into the atmosphere every year a micro example then i would give you and this is probably one of the most interesting ones is that like we said you know politicians are very keen to point the finger at us and say that you know we need to reduce our carbon emissions but you know taking last year's cop 26 climate conference in glasgow for example which our federal government attended uh, Canada spent, sent about two hundred and seventy-seven delegates to that climate conference, uh, and in comparison, you know, the host nation, the United Kingdom, only sent about two hundred and thirty. So, you know, where the government is saying that we you know we're in a climate emergency, we need to cut back on climate emissions. You know, a, a lot of Canadians are thinking, well, are, are you even buying the stuff that you're selling to us? You know, why are you sending so many delegates across the ocean on, on an airfare, which increases carbon emissions, and then? you know, having these 270 plus delegates drive to and from hotels back and forth to this conference when the host nation itself is sending drastically less. So we've identified, you know, about 23 examples in there, micro and macro examples of where governments could actually reduce their emissions um, and actually aid in, in you know, the, the ability to cut back on our emissions as a nation rather than just simply pointing the finger at Canadians and saying, you know, that, that it's just us who need to do it. Because it's clearly not. It's, it's a two-way conversation in that sense.
0: Mhm. You know, I had a guest on my show last week for Earth Day, um and uh, the the guest had some significant proposals that would that would help help the planet. And yeah. I don't think any I think I think we all want to uh help the planet uh and and if that if if that will uh, you know change our climate for the better, fantastic. We're all in. But in many cases it requires a huge investment at a time when money is tight. And I think that's a a really difficult part of some of the proposals. Now, uh, what I like about uh, this report that you've uh, authored is there are some really like alcohol sales for example is an is another one that i thought was interesting you need a bottle of wine and some groceries uh archaic government rules and we've got some of the most archaic here in manitoba means that you have to travel to do two different stores to purchase these items that adds to emissions now they're they're talking about you know changing that here but that's a that's a great example another example that i thought was really interesting is roundabouts instead of four-way stops now there's an investment in in making it a roundabout instead of a four-way stop but again that's that's an example i i I think rather than you know focusing on those big ones and i think we need to look at those big ones the ones that maybe cost a lot of money initially but then we save as we go along i I like your list I, i think there's some stuff on here we could do tomorrow
1: I appreciate that. And I think you're absolutely right. Obviously, you know, we're in a time where money is tight. And of course, it is a challenge to offset, you know, how much money do we put into these initiatives to reduce carbon emissions? And it's a fair conversation as well. It's a fair concern by people. But like you said, you know, a lot of our examples that we've highlighted, they're not necessarily the government putting money into things. It's really just, you know, the government thinking outside the box and in some ways even saving money. I mean, let's take Quebec as an example. Quebec has a, a phenomenal amount of natural gas, uh, in the province in the Utica shale. Uh, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it, it's somewhere in, in the region of about 40 years of supply of natural gas in Quebec. So right now Quebec has a bit of a moratorium on um, natural gas production. But you know, the reason for that is environmental concerns, but their solution to that is to invest $2 billion a year or thereabouts importing natural gas from Western Canada and the United States. So Quebec could actually save itself that import fee of two billion dollars a year if it were to actually, um, you know, develop its own natural gas supply in the Utica shale. And ironically, if it was to do that to save on the carbon emissions of transporting that natural gas over from Western Canada and the United States. It would actually, you know, reduce carbon emissions by taking the equivalent of 35,000 cars off the road each year. So not only is it actually reducing carbon emissions by producing its own uh, natural gas, it's also as well saving itself money from doing so. So you're absolutely right. You know, know, there's there's that serious conversation to have about how much money we put into this, especially when the economy and, and we're cash strapped right now But a lot of our policies are simply saying, well, you know, if you can actually think outside the box a little bit, go back to the drawing board for these governments. Go back to the drawing board and reform some of the policies they've put in place to even save money like the Quebec example I've given. I think it could be, you know, a real step forward in terms of reducing our carbon emissions while also being able to save us money as well in the meantime and, you know, doing a good thing for the environment, too.
0: I like it, James. I hope uh, politicians at all three levels of government are checking out the new report. Thank you.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks very much.